you'll be able to hear me. If you can't hear me, just give me the whole like, what's going on? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it's a really interesting thing when Josh asked me to preach on Psalm 44, because uh, this psalm makes me really uncomfortable. Um, because the idea of praying our shame to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I get the idea of like praying guilt. That makes sense to me. Like, God, I've, I've done something wrong. Jesus died on the cross so you forgive me of my sins and rose from the dead so I could have new life. So now I need your forgiveness. So here's my guilt. Wash it clean. And God says he does that. But with my shame, shame is a little different from guilt. Shame says I'm not good enough. It says um, I, I'm not worthy of love. I am not valued um, because I am I'm bad. Uh, I am not good. Uh, and the problem is, is when you come to God saying, God, I'm not good, I'm not worthy of value, I, I'm not worthy of being loved, it seems like the resounding answer is like, well, yeah, that's about right. Uh, you're a sinner. Uh, you've, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. So it kind of makes sense that you would feel that way. And so for me, it was like, well, how in the world do we come to God with our shame then, saying like, I'm not good enough? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? And that's why the psalm is, is really helpful. Um, and so what I want us to do this morning is I want, there, I think there are four movements in the psalm that you can see pretty clearly. Uh, and we're going to look, we're going to use this as a template for praying when we feel shame. Uh, what does it look like when I feel, when I don't feel good enough? And the context of this psalm is, is in battle, saying, God, we've gone into battle, you're supposed to be for us, and you've withdrawn and you're not for us. Um, and so for us, we don't really go into battle. Um, so what does it look like? Where, do, where are the places that we feel shame? And so the three kind of stories that I'm going to weave throughout this are the three kind of things where I think a lot of us feel shame. Uh, and again, th in this particular case, it's shame for no fault, right? He says we haven't done anything. So a lot of times it makes sense if you do something shameful. If you do something guilty, it makes you feel ashamed, right? So if, um, yeah, you just do something in front of people that you shouldn't, and then you're like, I feel ashamed. I don't feel like I'm good. That would make sense. But there's a different kind of shame where you feel like, I actually haven't done anything wrong. Uh, and that's what this psalmist is saying. So the three stories that I'm going to weave through here, I think the things that we experience uh, feeling shame ourselves is if you lose a job, if you're laid off, uh, there's a lot of shame there. Uh, when I was um, newly married, I got a job in August. I got married in October. And I was working part-time facilities at Sojourn, and I thought, this is what I want to do because I'll be able to, like, maybe someday, like, work at a church full-time, but I want to work at a church part-time for right now. And so I got another part-time job at a company, and they said I was doing great, uh, and they wanted to hire me part-time. And so just after I got married, uh, I got pulled into my boss's office, and she said, we're going to have to let you go. We really need somebody to be full-time. And they're like, and I was like, well, is it something wrong with the work that I'm doing? They're like, nope, it's not the work you're doing. We love the work that you're doing. It's great. Um, but we just need somebody who can do this full time. And so there's just a lot of shame feeling like I'm a newly married husband. I need to go home and tell my wife, like, I'm the one who's going to support us. I can take care of our family. And I go home and I have to tell her I'm not good enough. I didn't have it. I wasn't, I didn't work hard enough. I didn't prove to them that they needed to keep me around and pay me. And so I had to go home and tell her that he, like, I'm going to be let go. Um, I'm not going to have a job. Uh, I think another thing that we feel a lot of shame about uh, in our culture, uh, at least with my friends in the age group that I'm in, is, is uh, infertility. There's just a lot of shame of like, God says children are a blessing from the Lord, and I want to have kids, 
uh, and, I, and we can't. Is something wrong with me? Have I done something? Like God says he opens and closes wounds. Why has he closed mine? Have I done something? And I've got two friends right now who uh, they feel like they were built to have kids. They feel like that is like their joy, um, and that's, that's really what they just desire. And they've been trying to have kids for a while, and they can't. Um, and so what do you do with that? What do you do with that shame of feeling like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm just not good enough? Or the other thing is sickness. I think we feel a lot of shame around sickness. I have another friend. Um, she had Crohn's disease. And um, long story short, they thought a lot of her disease was having to do with her Crohn's disease. And it turned out it was actually stage four cancer. Uh, and it was something that they didn't catch. And she feels like it was something that she did in her past. It's like, if I hadn't have done this, uh, then God wouldn't have put this cancer on me. And so it's this shame of this previous life has caught up to me because I wasn't good enough. And so now this is the thing that God has put on me. Um, and it's hard when we feel that shame that I'm just not good enough. Um, like, to w what do you do with that? And so I think you see four movements in this psalm that are very clear and that are very helpful. And the first thing that you see the psalmist do is that he remembers God's big story. So there's a big story at play here. So I'm just going to read this again. So um, it's Psalm 44. And he says, God, we have heard with our ears, our ancestors have told us the work you accomplished in their days, in the days long ago to plant them. So you drove out the nations with your hand to settle them. You crushed the peoples, for they did not take off the land by their sword. Their arm did not bring them victory. But by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, you were pleased with them. You are my king, my God. You ordained victories from Jacob. Though you drive back our foes, though your name we, through your name we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our foes, and you let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in, the God, in God all day long. We will praise your name forever. So what he's doing is he's looking back and he's saying, I remember the stories. I remember hearing things that God has done. I know that he brought our people out of Exodus. I know he brought us out of Egypt. And I know that he put us in this holy land. I know I have seen God do awesome things. And so for us, what does it look like to remember the big story? Well, the big story for us is we're a part of that same story. We're a part of the people that were brought out of Egypt, but we're also, we were brought out of sin by Jesus, right? We look at the big story and we see, okay, my problems in comparison to the, the glory that I will get to experience for eternity are not so great. So if you think about what does Paul say, and he says it in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, our light and momentary sufferings are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we have this idea when we're, we're facing this shame, and we can say, I feel like I'm not good enough, I feel like I'm not worthy of love, and I feel like these things have come upon me. If we look and say, okay, there's, there's a bigger story here, and the bigger story is that God has said definitively, he said, I love you, I love you enough to rescue you. And, he, and what does Paul say? He says, this is a worthy saying that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, so that even when we've turned our back on God, we know that we have his love because he sent Jesus to save us. And what do we have to do to know that love is just to believe in him. And so we know that. We know the big story, right? So we know that God loves me. The big story is that he values me, that he cares about me. And so if we're going to follow this template for the psalm to pray our shame when we feel like we've screwed up, or not necessarily when we've screwed up, but when we feel like uh, there's been a situation that we don't deserve, the first thing I think is helpful to do is what this psalmist does, is that we remember God's big story. The problem with this is that if that's where you stop, you tend to cut yourself off at the knees. Because 
when I had this experience where I was getting laid off, the idea was it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. And it was just going to be okay and I'm going to be fine. Now, is that true? Yes. In the grand scheme of things, everything is going to be okay. And in the grand scheme of things, in the big story of God's, God's big story, everything is going to be fine. And this goes for my friends who are struggling with infertility. They know that, yes, in the big story, it's going to be okay. Same thing with my friend who's struggling with cancers. Yes, I know that even if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. This is, in the big scheme of things, these things, the shame that I'm feeling is going to be nothing compared to the goodness that's coming. But if you stay there and you don't actually own the pain of your story, you're living in a, a state of denial. You're lying to yourself. Because what you're saying is my shame doesn't affect me. I'm just going to think about the future. And so all of a sudden, you're not actually living in the present anymore. You're not actually dealing with your pain. You're just lying to yourself. And you're pushing all those shame and emotions down because it's like, I just want to focus on the good things. I don't want to think about how this is affecting me right now. And this is what's crazy, is the psalmist recognizes this. And so what he does is he starts to own his story. He owns the pain. He says, this is, this is how I'm actually feeling. And so this is just so hard to wrestle with. But look at what he says in verse 9 through 16. He says, but you have rejected and humiliated us. You do not march out with our armies. You make us a retreat from the foe. And those who hate us have taken plunder for themselves. You hand us over to be eaten like sheep and scatter us among the nations. You sell your people for nothing. You make no profit from selling them. You make us an object of reproach to our neighbors, a source of mockery and ridicule to those around us. You make us a joke among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. My disgrace is before me all day long. My shame has covered my face because the voice of the scorner and reviler and because of the enemy and the avenger. So he's not saying it's all going to be okay. He, he is, but he's also saying it's not okay right now. He's saying this is, this is super painful. I feel so ashamed because you are causing this for me. And this is what's really hard to wrestle with is we always have this thing where we feel like we have to defend God and say, well, it's not God's fault that it happened, right? And we do this thing where it's like, well, if you lost your job, I guess it's because you weren't working hard enough. Uh, or if, if you're not having kids, maybe, maybe you did something. Maybe, maybe there's something in your past that, you know, this is God's punishment for you. Uh, and with my friend who, who's got cancer, that's really what she's feeling. It's like, there's this thing in my past, and I guess if I hadn't have done that, then maybe like God wouldn't have done this to me. Um, and what's funny is in the book of Job, like, that's what Job's friends come to him and say. They're like, well, Job, um, you must have screwed something up. And Job keeps telling them, I've been righteous. I have done nothing wrong. And what's funny is when God comes back and talks to Job's friends, he calls them miserable comforters. And he says, you've been telling lies about me, and it's Job who's been speaking the truth. And which is so strange because we really, really feel like God works like karma. God works like if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And yet, in the book of Job and throughout the Psalms, we start to see, like, it's not that simple. It's not as easy as just obey and you get blessings, disobey and you get curses. But that's what it feels like, and also that's what the Bible says. If you look at Deuteronomy 28 and 29, it says, if you follow my commands, you will get blessed. And it also says, if you don't follow my commands, there will be curses. And then you, all right, so what's that look like for us as Christians today? Well, we look at what Jesus says, and he also says, if you obey my commands, you will be blessed. 
And so now we have this really hard thing where it's like, well, theologically, we know we can't blame God because he says if we obey him, we get blessed. But now we have this psalmist saying it's God's fault that this happened. And I think what's, what's great about this is this is God saying to us, it's okay to come to me and tell me you think it's my fault. You can come to me and just let it rip. You don't have to pretend that it's all together. You don't have to pretend that everything's going to be okay. You can come to me and say, God, you could have fixed this. You could have done something about this, and you didn't, and it makes me angry. And you know what? Like, that's okay. Like, God wants that. He's invite, Like He's telling us, that's how I want you to pray to me. When you feel like there is something that has just caused you so much shame and grief, and it's not your fault, come to me. Don't try to get all your ducks in, in a row. Don't try to get your theology in, like, in shape, and that way you come and say, God, I know this is not your fault, but it feels like there's just something you could do. It's like, God, this is your fault. You could have you could have given me my job. You could have just let that be. You could have not given my friend cancer. You could give those people kids. And God says, that's okay. I want you to come to me. I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be honest about your shame and how you feel like what is going on in your life. And so when we do that, right, so we have two things. We've got this thing where we have God's story saying everything's going to be okay, but then we have our story, which says everything is not okay. Everything is, is falling apart. And so the question then is, is like, how do those two stories interact? What, what, how do those two stories play together? And I think you see that in the third movement of this psalm, which is where you see the psalmist pleading his case before God. Right, and this is what he says. So we're going to look at verses 17 through 22 he says all this has happened to us but we have not forgotten you or betrayed your covenant our hearts have not turned back our steps have not strayed from your path but you have crushed us in a haunt of jackals and have covered us with deepest darkness if we had forgotten the name of our god and spread our hands to a foreign god wouldn't god have found this out since he knows the secrets of the heart but because we are slain all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered so what he's saying again is like we didn't deserve this. So here's his case, right? He's pleading his case. He's coming before God with evidence. And what he's saying is, you have in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, which is what he's referencing here, like we should not be cursed. According to the law, according to what you have told us, we followed you. So according to that, we should be blessed, right? And so he's making his case. I do not deserve this. And so we look at what Jesus says to us, right? Which is that John 14, if you obey my words, you will be blessed. So that's our case. That's what we bring before God. We say, I know, I know this is true. I know you've said blessings come from obedience, and that is absolutely true. But here's the other crazy thing. When we start to consider our case, right, and we start to think of our story in light of God's bigger story, is what is our suffering doing? What is our shame doing? What are these things that we're experiencing? What are they doing to our souls? And so our case is not just as simple as blessings and obedience and cursings and disobedience. Because Jesus says some really weird stuff when he starts talking about, if you're going to follow me, you can expect to be persecuted. If you're going to follow me, you can expect evil things to happen to you. Not only that, but you read things in Paul, right? And this is really weird where Paul says stuff like this in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ. That's the joy of living. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Don't we all? But then he also says this really weird thing where he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings to attain to the, or to know his, to the, blah, blah. I don't got to remember this there. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to attain or, and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
and so somehow to attain from the resurrection from the dead. So what he's saying is there's something weird that happens in our suffering where it helps us to know Jesus. And even if you back up even further, he says things like, for it has been granted to you not only to believe on Jesus, but also to suffer for him. So there's something going on here in the grand picture that says our suffering and our shame is doing something within us. It's transforming us. It's making us in a way that we know Jesus more. And so here's the thing. This is what we do now. So we have this big story that God says everything's going to be okay. It is. It's going to be okay. So if you're here feeling the shame, if you're feeling guilt, if you're feeling like the fear of the world is going to fall apart, look at God's big story. And we know that, okay, if I look at God's big story, I know that this is going to be okay. But don't deny what's going on right now. So you have to own your story. You have to own the idea that what I'm feeling right now is a lot of pain, it's a lot of shame, and it feels like it's not my fault. Right? And so then if it feels like it's not your fault, what you start to see is Jesus starts to bring these two stories together because what he says is, I'm going to bring you into God's story. And I'm going to bring you into God's story through your suffering, through your shame. I'm going to use those things to show you that everything is going to be okay because what happens is through our pain and our suffering and our shame, God starts to show up, and we start to see him more clearly than we thought we would. And so what happens then is if you start moving and, again, following the movement of the psalm, is we look at God's story, we know everything's going to be okay. We look at our story, we say it's not okay. We make our case before God saying it shouldn't be this way. And then we do what the psalmist does, is we, make, we ask God to act. And we ask him to act according to what he's told us he's going to do. And so here's what the psalmist says at the end of the psalm. He says, wake up, Lord, why are you sleeping? Get up, don't reject us forever. Why do you hide yourself and forget our affliction and oppression? For we have sunk down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up, help us, redeem us because of your faithful love. So our case, what do we know about who we are in Christ? Well, John 1 tells us that anyone who believes in Christ is a child of God. And we know, what do we know about God's children? Is that they can come to him and ask him for what they want. Jesus says we can be like the parable of the persistent widow who can just ask God for the same thing over and over and over again. And if God, who is a good father, likes to give good, likes to give good gifts to his kids, we can just keep asking him to fix our situation. So for me, right, this is what I did. I'm saying, God, I don't know what kind of job I'm going to have. I've got to provide for my family. You can fix this. It's not my fault. God, like, and I know it's going to be okay. I know this job doesn't define me. I know this isn't um, who I am is not this job, but I, I need you to do something. And what's crazy is God did. He actually just said, okay, I'm going to let you keep that job. Because what happened is they brought in the new guy for me to train. I trained him to take my job, uh, which was kind of weird to train somebody to take your job. And then after a while, they were like, you know what? We really like you. We just want you to keep coming around. So come around next week, and then after that, we'll let you go. And so I came back the next week, and after that, they were like, you know what? Come back just the next couple weeks, and we'll, we'll finally tell you when you're going to leave. And I worked for the company for like another year and a half <laughs> before I got offered a full-time job at our church, and they let me work full-time there. And I was like, thanks for the year and a half. Appreciate y'all. And that was God providing. That was God, even though I came to him and I said, I, this makes me feel like I'm not good enough, God said, that doesn't define you, but I can help, right? So we bring our shame before God, and we bring and we plead our case. Say, God, you please do something. But here's the thing: is sometimes God doesn't answer those prayers with a, "Yes, let me fix that for you." 
So I have two friends, right? They're struggling with infertility. They still are. They have, we've been pleading to God, God, please fix this. God, they want to have kids. So what do you do with that? Well, again, so what is our case before God is that he uses our suffering to transform us. And so that's, that's what we're asking is, God, fix this. We want them to have kids, but then also, God, transform them. Transform me. Transform me through this. Um, and that's not an easy prayer to pray because it feels like giving up. It feels like, I, I guess, God's not going to do this thing for me, so I have to pray for this spiritual thing. Um, and I think what's, what's so funny is God is actually putting us in a position to pray for what would really satisfy us. When we really feel that shame pushing down, saying we aren't good enough, um, that, we, that we've done something that makes us feel like unworthy of God's blessing. What happens is when we bring that shame before God and say, you've done this, and we ask him to transform us through that, we start to see how reality starts to set in of God saying, no, 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 I love you. I care about you. You are mine. You are good enough, not because you've done anything, but because I've transformed you. And that transformation only starts to happen when we start to bring that real shame, that raw shame, that feeling of not being good enough before God and saying, this is how it really feels. What can you do with this? And he says, I can transform it. I can use that to show you how much I love you. That in spite of how you feel, how you feel so ashamed, that I can actually use this thing to make you feel honored. Because it says in Psalms in, in Psalm 66 that God protects our honor. He's the one who gives us honor. And so when we bring that shame to him and allow him to transform us, we allow him to make us feel, uh, he's essentially taking our shame from us because he's transforming us. So that idea of like we bring our guilt before God and he cleanses us, when we bring our shame before God, he transforms it to honor. And so those are the two things that we do. So we can say we come to God and we make our case and we ask him to do something about it. We can say fix it, transform me. Uh, and the third thing that we can ask is what Jesus says at the end of Matthew. He says, I'll be with you to the very end of the ages. Jesus, just be with me. And this is what I think uh, Paul's talking about when he's talking about wanting to know Christ. The thing that's going to satisfy him more than anything in the world is to actually know Jesus. And so the transformation that takes place is what Jesus wants to give us when we bring our shame before him is that we know him better. And so with my friend who's struggling with cancer, um, we still pray, God fix this. Um, and she still feels like, if I only hadn't done that thing when I was 18, if I only hadn't done that, um, then maybe, maybe this wouldn't be happening. But the thing that is so incredible um, is to see her post things on Facebook, to talk to her, um, and to see how she's, she's being transformed. Uh, and that she, she's saying things like, it's just so sweet to know how near God is, to know that he is so close to me right now. And it's so odd because it's one of the things if you ask her, like, would you rather not do this again? Like, if, God, if you could go back in time and figure out, you know, you didn't do that thing and you didn't feel the shame. And she says, no, I, I'd, actually, I'd rather know God. I'd rather go through this in order to know Jesus more. Uh, and that, like, it's so hard to hear that because I'm like, I, I don't know if I can actually honestly say that. Like from my end, from where you are, I really wish I could say I would love to go through these things. I would love to feel these things, to know, to know Jesus more. But it's, I see the pain and the shame that she feels, and I'm like, I, I just don't know if I could say I want that. But that's kind of 
the goodness of the gospel is God says, you're not going to want it on your own. I'm going to have to come and transform you. I'm going to have to come into your heart. I'm going to have to give you a new heart. I'm going to have to take that heart of stone and remove it and give you a heart of flesh. Not only am I going to have to do that, but I'm going to have to take your spirit out of you and give you my spirit. And the only reason God can do that is because what Jesus did on the cross. And so what Jesus did on the cross is he made a way for God to live within us. And when he was resurrected, he made a way for God to live out of us. And so as we, uh, we're going to come to communion here. Josh is going to lead us in communion as we consider what God's doing. Um, I want you to consider your shame. I want you to consider the things that might be in your life that you feel like are no fault of your own. feel like the things that have, um, you haven't done something, but yet you are facing something that makes you feel like you aren't worthy, that you aren't good enough. Um, and you feel like it's God's fault. I want you to, as we come before him this morning, to bring that to him. Um, and then I want you to know, like, the case that you have before him is that he has called you his, his child. And that he's promised that he is going to be near you. That he's promised he's going to transform you through that suffering. Um, and that we have the opportunity to ask him to fix it. And even if we know he's not going to fix it right now or how we want it to be fixed, we know that he's going to transform us and make us more like Jesus. Uh, and so that's what I'm just going to ask as we're taking communion for those um, for you to consider that. Uh, and so I'm going to pray. Uh, Josh is going to come up here and lead us uh, through communion. And Father, we thank you for the, uh, the gift of your word, that it helps us to know how to pray our shame, that it helps us to know how to deal with um, when we aren't feeling good enough. Um, and Father, I ask that you would help us to know um, how to come to you, that we wouldn't have to pretend that our shame is uh, okay, that we wouldn't have to pretend that we've figured everything out, but that we would trust you, the God of all comfort, to give us comfort um, when we're facing sufferings, when we're facing things that we feel like aren't our own fault. And I pray that you would um, transform us through that. I pray that we would know you more through that. Um, and God, we do ask that in all these situations, um, that, you would, that you would bless us, that you would give us the blessings that you've promised. Um, but even if you don't, uh, Father, I pray that we would know how much you already love us, uh, that you've honored us, that you have seated us in the heavenly realms with Jesus already, um, and that uh, our shame does not define us, but that you call us your children, and that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, that that is the thing that defines us the most. And I ask that you would uh, give us hearts to believe that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Deacons, if you want to come forward, we'll enter a time of communion. Our tradition here is to uh, pass out uh, the cracker first, uh, wait till everybody's been served, then partake together, and then uh, pass out uh, the, the juice and, and do the same. Uh, we, we come to the table because we, we need Jesus. Jesus and his goodness gave us this uh, thing to embody, this, this practice to embody our, our need for him, uh, his, his broken body and, and his shed blood. Uh, if you're visiting with us, if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, I invite you to just let the plates go by. Instead, consider, consider Jesus, to take Jesus mm -hmm. instead of these ele elements. Um, if, you're, uh, if you call Jesus Lord of your life, we invite you to, to partake uh, the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, let me pray. Father God, we come before the table uh, so thankful to be your children, so thankful to uh, have a Father who is not uh, mad at us when we struggle with shame, who is 
big enough to handle our, uh, our anger, our critique. Uh, Father, we know that uh, as we press into shame, we can also identify with Jesus' shame uh, on the cross as his body was broken and his, shed, his blood was shed for us. As we partake of these elements, as we uh, just show up to you in some time of silence uh, with, with these elements, I pray that you would, you would meet us by the power of your spirit and draw us deeper into communion with your son, Jesus, in his name.